Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cotpast. Hello, good evening, and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast, the only rugby podcast gives you the news, news, and opinion on the week's rugby action with the West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts and back catalogue on the Sports Podcast Network. Uh, this week, I'm joined by uh, the Lensman, fresh back from uh, Hong Kong Sevens. Fresh from sharing a flight with my doppelganger. Were you on a flight with Mike Friday? Yeah, and uh, Simon Amor. Uh, did you Did you have your... You, did, please tell me you had your photo taken with him. No, with your glasses I, on. I, I mean, it, the Sevens crew now are referring to me as Mike Friday. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> love it there's a, picture, there's a picture on the cameraman group for that job saying Dougie shouldn't you be inside and it's a picture of Mike Friday on the pitch oh mate it's so good when when you messaged me whenever it was to say could you send me the pictures because um, <laughs> you didn't have any any Twitter are they ba- they block Twitter access in Hong Kong no I just I hadn't sorted out my data stuff oh, very boring stuff but, very yeah. boring very boring um but glad you're back safe. And uh, I'm also joined by the nicest man in Cornish rugby podcasting, Ben Eustace. How you doing, Ben? I'm good, thanks, mate. Good, good, good. Uh, before we go into a massive, probably half-hour rant about England, Argentina, um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to uh, Duncan Keane. Lovely to meet Duncan last week in the Mall Over Invitational that, that never was. Um, but he did have the pleasure of coming to watch me play rugby um unexpectedly i call up on a friday evening for nuki against bobman um a game which we won but would you believe i was on the bench you know when you're on the bench and you never kind of warm up properly you just kind of meander through and go well i can sit here in a nice warm jacket for at least the first half because nothing's going to happen doug can you guess how long it was before i found myself on the pitch I mean, knowing you, it's probably a, a matter of moments, right? 
a matter of moments indeed. Ben, it was about 17 seconds, wasn't it? It was, yeah, 30 seconds. But but also what happened in that game was the referee was was pretty ginger. Yeah, he was very ginger, but he was <laughs> he was pretty much on Nuki's side for about the first 20 minutes. And then Russ gave away a penalty and had a chat with the ref. And then we had three yellow cards by 50 minutes of that game. So, yeah, we were 12 against 15 at one stage. Unbelievable. Making friends and influencing people, weren't you, mate? Yeah, but I I didn't actually say anything to him. I was was trying to make a point to the captain. And the, the, the point of the matter is that the referee was refereeing for the assessor on the sideline, not for the level of the match that he was refereeing. Right. And and if if that makes sense, hopefully it'll make sense to a lot of people listening to this podcast. You left yeah. you're refereeing a Cornwall League match, not the World Cup final at Twickenham. Just <laughs> take your take your foot off the cunt pedal for a minute, mate. All right. <laughs> just just back it up a touch. And then you'll be all right. Anyway, it's enough about that. I gave away a couple of penalties. I didn't get yellow carded. Um, probably because Phil removed me at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Right, let's let's talk about the, some weekend rugby, shall we? Let's talk about um, let's talk about England Argentina. Uh, I've seen a lot of a lot written over the last couple of days. A lot of which I've I've pretty much said before. Um, ben. <laughs> I mean, where do we start? Where do we start? Let's 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 start with with selection first and foremost. Um, what do you make of it? And was it was it the right move for for a physical Argentina side? Well, <clears throat> I think this uh, you're sort of alluding to Smith and Farrell, but the thing I don't understand is playing Itoje at, at six, and it's it's my like hobby horse that I always end up sort of riding around the podcast, but Eddie Jones seems to like to have a second row at six and, and all right with laws, fair enough. Laws has pretty much converted himself into a six now, but a Toje is a flat out second row and you're moving him to six. You're leaving out Willis or, um, you know, pick, pick your back row forward here to put in, two second rows, neither of which are as good as a Toje. I thought Coles did all right. I'm, I'm still not sold on Johnny Hill, but Coles isn't, you know, close to a Toje yet. And I don't think he's close to Willis. So I, I just think it's a strange move. All right. I'm, I'm going to accept the laws situation, but I mean, what is it? Is it for clearing out as someone suggested in our group or is it first for the line out? Because I seem to, Remember, at least one back row forward in the history of rugby has been able to be lifted in the line out. Um, so I don't quite know what his reasoning for it is, because to me, it adds a bit of maybe adds a bit of bulk at the breakdown, but it takes away from the speed. Um, and, you know, Argentina did have a fair bit of luck at the breakdown. Um, you know, they picked their moments and, and they did it well. Um so I think that's that's a bit of bizarre selection, and then the the Farrell Smith situation. Well, he he's gonna he's gonna play Farrell, whatever, isn't he? So your question is, do you do you want to play Smith and hope it works, or do you just play two out and out centres? 
Well, at I this mean, point, mate, I think we've been through this. I I think we've already been down this road with Ford and Farrell. It's exactly the same road. It's exactly the same premise. You've got a, a 10 that wants to, you know, play to see <clears> spaces, to play a bit of heads up rugby. Then you've got a 12 that is a 10 that wants to play 10 that doesn't, that doesn't operate as a 12. Therefore, the selling point of having Farrell and Smith was if one of them is at the bottom of a ruck, the other one can organize and get everything working. Well, that definitely didn't work on Saturday because England looked pretty good for about three or four phases and then they just looked like they were completely lost after that. But if, was... if, if you say about, about the premise of a, a, another playmaker not being at the bottom of a ruck, then why haven't teams for time in memoriam picked another ball player at 10? Because it makes no sense to me. And the biggest blocker of this, the and, and it, I'm not even going to say it's necessarily Farrell's fault because you watch Farrell play 10. He's probably one of the best 10s in the world. It, what he mm. does, game management, controlling the game, he kicks well, you know, he, he manages the game through. But when you play Farrell at 10, you know the sort of game you're going to get. Right, you're yeah. not going to be. You, it'll be efficient rather than yeah. exciting. And the well, clamour for playing Marcus Smith by the by the media by fans saying, "Oh, he's the most excited prospect." He's just, he's no different to the way George Ford has played pretty well, much for the last ten years. It's actually a downgrade on Ford because Ford at least has played with Farrell forever since they were in age group rugby. So so they they they've made it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whereas when you watch Smith's almost learning on the hoof, isn't he? Well, when you watch Smith well, for Harlequins, go on, Doug. Well, I, in my opinion, he's playing sort of one line back, isn't he, Marcus Smith? He's not he's not playing the same kind of rugby that he plays day in, day out. And I think if I'm gonna sort of sum up what what I think is happening, it, it sort of goes back to the sort the uh Ericsson era England football team where we've we've got a head coach who is almost almost afraid of what might he I don't think he'll ever admit it, but I think he's a little bit afraid of what will happen if it, if he doesn't pick a Toji or he doesn't pick Smith or because of the backlash to it. But in order to pick everyone that he thinks he should pick, he's got to play people out of position. And as we've said many times, it all that does is end up weakening multiple areas of the team. But but a team he, he, should be playing five, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's not as good. There are probably ten back rows in England better than better at being a back row than Laws and Atoje, right? But he continues to pick them both. And there is no one better at playing second row than Atoje. So I, I I don't understand it, but with, with with the Smith thing, it's it's a case of there's been a clamour to get him in because of the way he plays for Quinns. Then we get him in and he plays nothing like how he plays for Quinns because that's not how Jones wants him to play. So yeah. what's the point of picking him? Well, You're not going to let him play how he wants to play, then pick Farrell. My point exactly. And Smith, Smith for Harlequins has built a career on having Don Brandt inside him and Esther Hazen outside him. So he can then pick a gap. 
He can get back inside. He can have one out outside, or he can go behind Esther Hazen and spin it wide, knowing full well that defenders, one, maybe two, are going to have to commit and bite in. So you're going to have a 10 and a 12 having to commit on um, Estazen if he's going to go outside. So you've got, you've got your back row. If you, let's say you're coming off the back of a ruck or the back of a scrum. You've got Don Brandt on your inside. So that's going to tie up your guard and your, and your, your opposite back row. You've got your 10 and your 12 that are going to be looking at Estazen potentially to stop him going straight through the middle. Then if you go wide, that's gonna, you're going to have space to be able to go wide into. That's going to make Marcus Smith look very, very good. It they makes him look even that. better. Makes him they, look even better if Esther Hazen punches a hole and then offloads yeah. and away they go. They kind of worked that for the try, didn't they? I know it wasn't Smith, Smith that made the pass, but they managed to get... Fokinatiga, yeah, yeah. Fokinatiga and Tuilagi running at almost the same defender. He had no chance. Exactly. Um, but it didn't happen enough. No, it doesn't, because what happens is Owen Farrell is essentially a pivot man. He is not scaring a defence. So so if you're a 12 and you're fronting, if you're a 12 and you're fronting up Owen Farrell, you're confidently saying, well, I've got this. No drama. He ain't going to run through me. Fact. Whereas if you are a 12 fronting up Andre Esterhazen, you might be pulling your 13 in a little bit tighter or, or your 10 a little bit tighter the other way to help with a double tackle, which then will create a space somewhere else. With when- Farrell at 12, that doesn't happen for England, which means that the, the opposition can defend wider. They don't have to bite in because they know that outside is, pro- is not an issue because they can, hold their, they can hold their space and they can hold their channels. I think when, I'm not sure when, I agree. With, sorry, Doug. I'm not sure I agree with Smith's only successful because of the ball carries at Quinn's. No, 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 no. It is the what makes him successful is the ability of those ball carries to hold defenders, and then Smith to pick the correct option based on what he sees. But it is fundamentally the ball carriers that are, that are occupying the defense. If you don't occupy a defense, Doug. But, Eng- but yeah, but mate, England have. The, the options to be able to play that way. No, they don't. They have the ball carriers that can mimic that. Well, they, 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 they can, but they don't. But there's, there's, there's the larger issue for me is that there's, there's no, there's zero trust in from Eddie Jones in how Smith plays. So it's like he has to ask permission to do anything from Owen Farrell before he does it. Exactly. So you've got two, t- you've got two tens. You've got a guy that play, that's playing 10 which should be your decision maker and run the game. But then he's, you've got the guy at 12, who's the captain who wants to be at 10, but isn't playing like a 12. So your two choices is either Owen Farrell plays because he's the captain, but he plays at 10. Then you shift to a laggy inside and you bring, I don't care who you bring in at 13. That could be Northmore. It could be Slade. It could be uh Marchant, It could be daily. Like it could be a fucking China doll for all I care. Right. But you've got that figurehead. You can that means you're going to have an inside runner, which will be you know your black ball, your member of the pack, whoever's going to take it on the inside of ten. Then you've got your outside ball, your two alangi, your straight up runner who will occupy a defender or two. And then if you go around the back, you've got an option. At the moment, England do not trouble defenses. 
because their attack is so one-dimensional. To a degree, but they did trouble the defence off of the first couple of phases, and then they fell apart. So, because I don't, well, how much of that is to do with the? Who, I mean, who's calling? Is Farrell calling what they do after the first phase ball from twelve, or is Smith calling it but having no creative, no no creative sort of um, direction because they have to play to a structure that Jones has prescribed? So. For me, there's no, there's no better 10. Well, there's no 10 I'd rather have in multiple phase play than the Marcus Smith because mm. he, he can create and he can manipulate defences, whereas I don't see that happening with England. I just see a guy that... Well, it, England are almost in that situation that Saris are in sort of six, seven years ago where it was two phases and a box kick. That's their game plan. Don't score within three phases. It's punt the ball downfield, try and gain a bit of territory and get the ball back. We won, we went through this again. in the year, didn't we? Do you remember when that awesome Nations Championship mm. sort of came on and Eddie Jones went, well, we actually don't want the ball. We're just going to kick it away all the time and play. Was, was, it after, was it after Coles made that break where he, he got through and he was pro- they were probably only, what, 15 metres out, 10 metres out? Is that in the and last then, sort of 15 minutes or so? Yeah, it was, tall, yeah. it was certainly in the second half. And they they chucked three passes along the floor and then they ended up back towards the 10 meter line through, through no, no other reason than no one was stood in the right place. And they were chucking the ball all over the, all over the floor. And, you know, Argentina's second try came from that. I mean, I mean, the first try Argentina scored, you know, I don't think you can complain too much about that. That was just a brilliant try. Um, but the second one was just, just seized on a mistake and, you know, I think both sides gave away a lot of stupid penalties, which which were kicked by by the two go- good goal kickers. But did, I, I don't know. Do you guys think that England love that little flip ball off Sinclair a little bit too much? I think Sinclair likes doing the little flip ball a little bit too much because I, he had a good game. But you know, I think that probably slows stuff down at times. Yeah, I. If you've got a fly half, two fly halves on the pitch, you don't want your prop at first receiver too often, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Only if you've got two fly halves, well, you, you you've probably got three if you you can include Slade in that mix. Yeah, if Slade's on, yeah. It's not like he's a not a creative influence, is it? Mm. I I just think the larger in, the, the the biggest problem England have is is that the head coach is a a complete control freak who, who won't allow players to have any creative input and just wants them to play in a prescribed way, which is why I think Owen Farrell's is like his main man because Farrell is, is a script player, isn't he? He's not a creative 10. He, he sticks to the game plan, does what he's told. Well, it's, it's, it's the, and he's aggressive it's the Saracen, in defense, which is, Saracen's robot, isn't it? Like that's, that's yeah. how they operate. And and you could be successful in that way. And whilst it might not be everyone's cup of tea, Saracens have proven that that, that that style of rugby is is an effective mechanism for getting results. But I don't I don't believe you can have yeah. the ability to have both is the 
the golden nugget, isn't it? It's the it's the utopia, and you won't see many teams actually strike that balance well. Yeah, because you've got you've got the All Blacks who who go one way, and then potentially South Africa who who go the other. You know, France uh, going through a little bit of a, a golden, without saying golden generation at the moment, but you know, the, having having flair and stability is a bit of a unicorn for me. It's you you need to have stability and then be able to play heads up, not the other way yeah. around. Uh, can we talk for a minute about? Um... Eddie Jones is sort of constant judge me on the World Cup, judge me on the World Cup stuff. Yeah. Um, it just justifies his job, doesn't it? Well, if all that matters is the World Cup and the only thing we should be judged on is that, why are we even playing these games? And why? how can the RFU justify... 150 quid for a ticket for games that by their head coach's own admission don't matter. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a good point. Um, and it's hard to justify it ever. Those levels of ticket prices, especially when you know yeah. you see some of the, um, some of the well, reports I, I, from the weekend where all they do is they play shit music every 30 seconds in between yeah. the, the breaks. I, rain, I could right? justify it if what he was doing seemed to have a structure and a plan and, and, and felt like it was actually part of a larger idea of what's happening. But I don't for a minute believe that there is a plan. You don't go through Christ knows how many coaches... He's, lost, he's he's changed another defensive coach, isn't he? Yeah, you you don't go through that amount of coaches if you have a plan, because surely the coaches should be part of a plan that sees you through a whole process. Um, I heard rumours that Simon Amor, who was the the attack coach uh, in the last was it last autumn? Yeah, was almost driven to. Uh, retirement after working with Jones. Really? Yeah. Um, completely fell out of love with the game. Um, was considering options for what to do afterwards. Well, it's hard um, to be in a, it must be hard to be an attack coach in a system that doesn't really promote any sort of attack. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems hard to believe that there's a plan when you play for two years without someone like Matt Mako Vunipola and, and um, Manu and, and those kind of players. And then a year out from a world cup after basically discarding them, you decide that they're now the answer. Uh, I, I, genuinely don't think the man has a clue what he's doing you've got I a think- question you've got to question the the logic so sam simmons going to montpellier at the end of this season right the only the only reason i can see that having happened is because joe just told him he doesn't want him yeah well abs- absolutely but if he's not going to be here um after 
the next World Cup anyway. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that obviously the with the World Cup starting next October, whilst the likes of Simmons and anybody else that goes to France, I know the, the Willis brothers have signed for Bordeaux, apparently. There must be dispensation there, but are they are they kind of exempt from the World Cup selection as being they are allowed to be selected for the World Cup because they won't have started the season in France when the World Cup starts? Or do they go to France after the World Cup starts? Does anybody know the answer to that? I don't. I don't think anyone knows the answer to that, do they? So, yeah, it, you're right, though. The likes of the Vinopolas coming back in, um, there doesn't seem to be any progression in, in what this England side are, are trying to do. And it's so devoid of any inspiration. I don't know if that's the right word to use. The, the, Just it, desperate for this World Cup to it. World Cup cycle to end so we can get rid of him because I think there's you know he's been there for eight years now or will have been there for eight years maybe nine years I can't remember but anyway a long time and the careers of some of England's most talented players have been flushed down the toilet um, I read a, I read a stat of, of, like, of all of the of all the players capped or that have been picked by Eddie Jones in the last however many years, seven years. I think it was 64 players have earned 10 caps or less. And like some of his favourites who, or, you know, people he's consistently picked have been dropped now and they're playing probably the best they've played in years. Like Ben Earl was in the squad for years. He's playing out of his skin for Saracens. Like Daly wasn't in the squad this, this week. He's playing really well, um, and he's brought back Mac. Like I can see the logic of Billy, but you know Mako. You know he didn't look at the races when he came on. In fact, probably the only substitute that that really did make any kind of impact was was Van Portfleet. The re- the rest, you know, you probably wouldn't even notice they'd come on unless they did something you know other than you know, the odd penalty that they gave away. So, yeah. I think you're right. It, it does seem like there isn't, if there was a plan, it, the plan's been changed and it looks like it's been changed about three times now. And the whole mind games, oh, we're, we're keeping our cards close to our chest and all this sort of stuff. It's just, it's just fucking media bullshit. I don't. How many times has a World Cup been won by a team that's come with a secret plan? And how many times has it been won by a team that steamrolled everyone for 18 months before the World Cup? Yeah. You know, yeah, you knew what they were going to do. You just couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop them. Yeah. I think for a long time in the, in the lead up to the last World Cup, Ben, you were saying we need to win every game. We need to win every game. And I was like, no, we need to test things out. We need to try things. Um, Jones has had eight years to try things. Mm. We should be pasting everyone we play now. It is a, uh, a character study in how not to build a squad, how to go game to game and, and be short term about everything to have eight years to prepare a squad and still be a year out from a world cup and say, well, judge me on the world cup. We shouldn't have to be judging him on the world cup. That squad should have been together 
for eight years and just be, as you say, steamrolling with people by now. But we look more lost than ever. Right, like Henry Slade didn't make the original squad. Farrell supposedly had a concussion. Slade comes back in and ends up on the bench. Like, it's all so muddled. Ben Young's still gets a game, still gets Joe Cockney-Seager isn't in the top three wingers at Bath, mate, let alone in England. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know when... You know, in the 90s and the and the, the, the 2000, well, 2000s mainly early with the England cricket team, when they would start talking about, yeah, they may not have performed at county level, but they had something about them to, to make it, it test, it test level. Test match animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just slightly different. Um, I kind of get, I get that in, in cricket and I, and I always, I get it to a certain extent in rugby, but it strikes me that that's what they see in, in Cock and the Seager. And it, I think it is. I think there is a little bit there. And also, he's uh, uh, the horse for the course, isn't he? Because if you look at every team Jones has picked before he came to England, not every team because Japan didn't have any, but he usually had a big winger, like someone like Wendell Saylor or someone like that. So if Jones can, he will pick Cock and Asiga just because he's massive. Ooh, why are you so massive? Yeah. Um, so, and I think he that's, does. That's worth 300 grand a year, isn't it? Yeah. What's your game plan, Eddie? I want a winger. Massive winger. Massive. Yeah. Does it matter if he's good? Not really. It's frustrating from a, from a fan's perspective. Like, I know he's the coach and, you know, he gets to make these decisions, but continually making making what appears to be the same decision over and over again, expecting a different result. And I, I think, I guess that for me is what the most frustrating part of it all is. There's a lot frustrating about it, Russ. There's a lot. There's a lot. There is a lot. Well, could be worse. We could be Welsh. We could be <laughs> Welsh. We could be Welsh. Should we talk about it? Should we talk about this for a little bit? Um, what but sorry before we get before we move on what what changes would you make um for this weekend against Japan he's he's obviously going to make some a fair amount of changes um it would deem Japan probably not as competitive as Argentina well, I don't I don't think after that performance you can afford to make any changes you've got to go with the side that you think you're going to start the world cup with and you've got to play every game with them and you've got to win every game I, I, yeah and Japan yeah, you can't mess. No you can't mis- un- underestimate you Japan well. now. Yeah, um, I mean we're limited, aren't we? Because I think he's picked the squad already, isn't he? So yeah, um, he's called up Mitchell, isn't he? Instead of Quirk. Um, well, so. yeah. So he'll call up Mitchell. Mitchell will play. He'll drop Van Poorfleet and start Ben Youngs, and everyone will go, "Why the fuck is Ben Youngs?" Anywhere near the side, why hasn't he been jettisoned into the sun? Because <laughs> Duncan loves him. Do you think Willis will start? Do you think he'll stick with a Toji at six? I, I mean, I think I will. I think he will because I think he's just stupidly stubborn. But um, I don't think he should. Um, so I'm just having a look at the squad now. There's a crime. I mean, 
he can only make cosmetic changes, can't he, really? Um, I mean, Noel was quiet, wasn't he? So does he bring Murley in? Or um, Yeah, Freeman played in, in Australia and, you know, I, I quite rate him. I think he's a good player, so he could come on on the wing. Um, I mean, there's, there's, if, I was, if I was able to pick a squad from you know, outside of the outside of that squad, pick a team from outside of that squad. I think there'd be a couple of names in it. Um, one thing that maybe if they if they have to relax the rules on players based in France because of what's going on financially, I wonder if they can get Mercer in there somehow for the World Cup. Well, Mercer will be back in. See, this is this is what I don't understand. Mercer will be a Gloucester, a Gloucester officially a Gloucester player by the time the World Cup comes around. Yeah. So the chances are he's going to be a, a World Cup bolter anyway. So it all depends on on what they make, what they decide the rules are to suit each other, doesn't it? Really? I mean, look, yeah. just looking Mer- forward Mercer- to the World Cup. Go on, mate. I, Mercer, Earl and Curry. That sounds all right to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I mean, for just looking ahead to the World Cup next year, I forgot who was actually in our pool. And our our pool consists of Japan, Argentina, Samoa, and Chile. You know that's a it's a fucking stroke of luck, really, that we've got that pool. Because if we were in a pool with Wales, Australia, Fiji, or South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, or New Zealand, France, and France. I mean, you say that, Russ, trouble. but we could have we could have lost to both of them by uh, by this time next week. Well, we could have done. We could have done. But, you know, we've got a better chance of beating Argentina and Japan at the World Cup than I think we have beaten New Zealand and France or Wales and Australia. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to Wales in, in a minute. Um, but I'm I'm really worried about our ability as a squad to win any international rugby matches at the moment whilst whilst this decision-making is, is still going on. And while there just appears to be no plan oh we'll just you know we'll kick teams to death and we won't you know we won't operate any sort of flair or ability to get the ball wide just makes it so easy to defend I don't I just don't understand if you haven't got any wide threat you you're easily defendable as far as I'm concerned so there you go um let's let's talk about Wales briefly um I watched the Wales New Zealand game on on Saturday, and you know, for all of England's failings on Sunday, I wish that had happened first because watching Wales get their asses handed to them was, you know, it did put a smile on my face. I must admit. Um, what did you What did you make of of Wales first and foremost, Ben? Um, because to me they're in as, as bad a position as England at the moment as far as decision-making goes. Yeah, I mean, Wales were not good at all. Um, the scrum half had a lively game, I think. Um, Falatau did his best, but outside of that, there was nothing really standing out. And New Zealand, I mean, was it a record win? I think it was. I mean, yeah, they scored was, 55 yeah. points. They didn't even play that well. I wasn't... Yeah particularly blown away by New Zealand other than um, Aaron Smith and, and uh, the, I mean, are yeah, these something else? I mean, I'm being a bit unfair. I thought, um, I thought the open side played well and um, Barrett at 12 
was really good. Papali, I mean, that was a great Papali, finish. Papali, was it Papali? Yeah, Papali? I, I wasn't going to risk. I wasn't going to risk that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, great finish from the crossfield kick when the game was still live. Um, and you know, Wales scored, scored a decent try, didn't they? But um, I mean, I think they got away with one a little bit with their other try. I don't think. I, I think that was definitely a knock-on in there somewhere, and I think Tipperich did as well. But you know, it doesn't doesn't matter in the long great scheme things, does it? I think anyone um, that's played rugby knows that he knocked yeah. that on. But you know, I mean, that surveyor's dummy. Um, I mean, that's not been seen since um, since a few years ago at Nuki Hornets, is it? A dummy like that. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, um, everyone seemed to buy the most obvious dummy in the world and uh he put well, it was the prop smith, smith wasn't it he um i mean he got sent for a hot dog probably yeah. not probably not for the first time yeah and uh <laughs> he was all over the show i mean i've seen surveyor try that dummy before and i don't think anybody's ever bought it but he was he was immense um, yeah like almost unplayable the way but he he, he he had that run in the first half where he where he spun out of one tackle, ran over someone else, and just kept going. When it appeared like there were three mm-hmm. people hanging off him, and he was like, like, like nobody was even there. He was he was phenomenal at the weekend, and like you say, a bit of a renaissance from um, from Aaron Smith. But it was, it was more like a, an all black team. If you remember the teams of around sort of two thousand, where they had some brilliant players, but they were never quite a team like yeah. um you know you know once they got into the sort of dan carter and bowden barrett teams and well they had they Richie had McCaw. yeah well that that team where it was um you know mccaw you know retallic whitelock um franks um mialamu um conrad smith well yeah mananu yeah. and conrad smith yeah. you know they had Dag, Israel Dag, that was a proper team. Like but, from but, one to fifteen, they were, but with that team, if, if someone dropped out, they're a bit like the Australian cricket team. You know, through the eighties, nineties, someone dropped out of it. It was they just kept going, didn't they? They just replaced them with someone else. Whereas now you've got a few individuals. I think from that team on Saturday, if if a couple of those individuals were injured, you wouldn't fear that team at all. Yeah, um, you know. Um, yeah, they've got some time before the World Cup, and they st- they're still managing to win games. So it's you know it's not a disaster for them. But um, you know, I'd be I'd be back in France against them in a World Cup final, don't you think? I on current yeah current performances, yeah. I would I would say almost a hundred percent. Um, because of because of the French phys- physicality. I, I don't think that I don't think New Zealand will match it. I know they were missing um, Retallick at the weekend, but I think the French would have the edge physically, and I think they'd be able to shut New Zealand down. And I think when was it last autumn when France played New Zealand and they had that like twenty minute, like New Zealand started to come back at the beginning of the yeah. second half, and then yeah, France yeah. just had that twenty odd minute spell and they just literally wiped the floor with them, Untamak and. Um, DuPont just went ballistic and um, I just think France have that ability. I think France have that ability to go through the gears. Yeah. It's stuff like that at the moment. Whereas, whereas New Zealand, I think are, 
they're very much a straight into fifth gear. And if and if we can't go from from second to fifth, we might be in trouble. Yeah. And we can't we can't go from fifth down to third and just tie it up for a bit. Just you know settle it down and and try and go for a few phases and take the sting out of a game. Because there was for a few minutes, obviously they were nearly twenty nil up, and Wales did. They did rattle yeah. them for a few minutes, and then they come out after half time, and it just you know they they had Wales on toast. But you could just see the 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 wheels starting to creak a little bit, and I think a better team than what Wales were mm. would have would have been able to keep that pressure up. Um, but Wales just didn't have the quality to to keep it up. And I think, you know, Priest have bringing back Priestland, losing half penny before the game probably wasn't ideal because they'd have had Anscombe on the bench to come on. Um but even so, like Owen Watkin and like, I don't oh Nick Nick Tomkin, I know the, the Saracens boy like really rate him. He he's not for me. I just don't think he might be good in again in the Saracen system. But it, it's what you were talking about with Test Match Animals, isn't it? He yeah He's a great club player, but he doesn't seem to quite translate it to international um, rugby. Um, I mean, you could say like the opposite is someone like, I watched the Scotland game and someone like Chris Harris, who looks a decent club player, but keeps keeps that up for internationals and and plays well every week in an international game. He he plays better in international games than he does in, in club games. Like... In in club games for Gloucester, you, you could be forgiven for him, him and Mark Atkinson or whatever, just or Harrison twelve trees in the centre, just being a bit oh meh. And he doesn't really stand out. He doesn't really. But for Scotland, he is he is one of those standout players. Yeah, and I think um, moving on to moving on to Scotland. Well, while we're there, while we're there, I mean, I watched a bit of, a fair amount of this game. Um, there were some absolutely thunderous tackles from Fiji. It was borderline delicious. Watching Adam Hastings get folded up into a basically into a small package um, was something that an absolute joy. It was one of the one of the you know like you just don't see these big hits anymore, mm. like the proper ones, and those those Mueller's it progressive rugby started. They started tweeting about oh we had whiplash oh it's not just about it's not just about the contact to the head it's now about oh yeah well he must have had whiplash um because of a hit that hard and it's like you fucking like give it a rest adam get up you've got minor women's whiplash (laughs) move on so move you've broken your neck (laughs) the heroes at regressive rugby though keeping it real for everyone (laughs) yeah i mean those guys must be awesome I'm, I'll have to try and work out who they are. I think Scotland deserved to win that match because they made I mean, less they were mistakes. Better, they were better than Fiji. Let's make no but, mistake about but it. But Fiji probably had the five best players on that pitch. Oh. I mean, their entire back row was outstanding. Mate, Tuisui um, Tui is an absolute animal. Beast. And that Bottia just is... Was it him that um, marmalised Hastings? Was it Bottier? No, that, that was one of the second rows, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I thought uh, it was, yeah. was Bottier. And then someone put, a, someone just hit 
Darcy Graham from the blind side and in the first half when he when he bobbled that ball and it was just like ow um and I, I can't remember which winger it was I think it was the one that got yellow carded it like he had an outstanding game as well yeah um and Bill Matter you know so you know they individually you know they had some outstanding performances but they don't quite it's not that they don't gel as a team because once they get the ball in hand they're brilliant um but you know just the set piece and the breakdown you know his, historically has always kind of been a weakness for them and it, it gets them refereed out of the game quite a lot it, it does um, and that that's exactly what happened in this game but you know just you know some some of the passing like they, they just throw these rocket passes don't they yeah. and they 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 hit someone in stride, which you know is is a weakness of probably Northern Hemisphere rugby. But um, yeah, they were great to watch at times. Well, there, there there is they're all they're all expecting to get the ball, aren't they? In support mm-hmm. in support lines. If you watch if you watch England, let's take Cock and the Seager, right? You, if if Cock and the Seager is running down the wing, the chances of him offloading back inside are probably about two in 10. Yeah. Whereas for Fiji. They're significantly lower than him offloading into touch. Yeah. Potentially. Um, and But for Fiji, they think it's coming. They're expecting it to come. So they're anticipating accordingly. Whereas for England, like for England or you know, whoever else, they know it's not going to come. Therefore, when it does come, it looks shit and doesn't go to hand. Or they get bundled into um, into touch or turned over on the touchline or, or whatever. And it's that, that whilst it doesn't always come off, it, it's just so good to watch. When, it's, when they're in full flight, it is so good to watch. And, you know, as a, as a bit of a rugby purist, it, you know, you love, you love to see it. It's that sort of sevens mentality, isn't it? And, you know, like you say, whilst, whilst the set piece um, and discipline at times leaves a lot to be desired, when they when they actually play rugby, and for, and for periods of that first half, they played some proper stuff and mm-hmm. they defended amazingly. I think fitness was a, was a big issue for them as well. Um, you know, in general, a lot of the players, whilst... Um, playing in England and, and a few of them in France. There'll be others that just don't play at the at the required level for often enough. And they yeah. the drop the drop off in fitness after sort of sixty minutes with the Fijians is is quite stark. And that's kind of where teams tend to, you know, you you'll see them holding teams for 50, 60 minutes to within a score or a couple of scores. That's where Tim teams tend, tend to pull away from them, isn't it? Yeah. Um here's a here's a question for you. And as an as an Exeter fan, I don't think there is a more overrated player in world rugby at the moment than Stuart Hogg. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he's um yeah, is is sort of time as as a prem a premier, you know, blue ribbon player is is probably over now, isn't it? I think if Stuart Hogg wasn't Scottish, 
he would struggle other than other than Italy to get a regular game for any of the other nations. Yeah, I mean he wouldn't you know nowadays I mean how old is he? I'm just looking that up now. Uh born in 92, so he's 30. Th- 30, yeah. So I mean there's a few years back in him but I don't think now he would beat I mean, I, I watched him play for Exeter recently and I watched it, was it against was it against Gloucester the other week? And he was a fucking abysmal. Like, really bad. And I know Exeter are having a bit of a, a bit of a bad run of things. But when you've got your, you know, your overseas sign-in, your, your marquee player, just kicking, slicing yeah. the ball straight into touch and making... I- Basically, I always used to think there was always at least one straight into touch in Hog, like every single game, even at his prime. And I think he's he's also he looks he looks bulkier than he did when he was a youngster. And I think he's probably lost a yard. So, you know, times when he's getting the ball now, where where before he would have maybe made a break and started a a move, he's now getting caught. Um, and I don't think he's he's I don't think he's accepted that that that's a thing that's going to happen. I still think, he, I think he probably still in his head, you know, plays like he's 24. So um, he's grown a top knot. Yeah. I mean, it, that, and that's disgusting, isn't it? But um, I mean, he wouldn't get an Ireland's team. He wouldn't, he wouldn't keep Keenan out and he wouldn't right. keep, he wouldn't keep, um, wouldn't keep Stuart. Stewart. No. Um, I think if Liam Williams was fit, you'd probably go with Liam Williams. So yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Thought so. Also, um, talking of top knots, McCloskey played played for Ireland, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. I didn't see any of the Ireland South Africa game. I saw a couple of little snippets of, you know, South Africans crying more about a potential forward pass. Um, and to be honest, it couldn't have happened to a, a nicer bunch of people unless it was Ireland. So I couldn't really care less about either of those two teams. <laughs> Honestly, got no interest. Um, yeah, that, I mean that—that's about it. I haven't really got anything anything else to say. So you know, I watched some of um, Exeter Saints on on Friday night. Exeter are in a real struggle at the minute, um, which surprise, which which makes it even more surprising. Like the the players that have left Worcester and and Wasps, why Exeter haven't explored that a little more? I mean, there's obviously potential salary cap implications for that but well, I heard I've read that Dan Dan Robson is potentially off to France you know even if Exeter were that what Exeter lack is a real top class nine at the moment since Nick White left their speed of ball has been a travesty in regards to speed um and someone like Dan Robson would probably fit the bill for for getting for getting them going in that way um but they they don't seem to have been pro. They signed the Wasps hooker, I think Frost. But other than that, they haven't really got involved in any of it. Um, and it does make you wonder how much how much the the salary cap and and the financial situation is you know is impacting them when uh, they've they called a, an emergency meeting for Wednesday, I believe, because they've got to look to sell some of their assets to pay back the loan they borrowed during COVID. So, I mean, at least Exeter are in a position where they're they're able to sell some assets to to cover those costs 
rather than administration and all that sort of stuff. But just goes to show that that it's hitting everyone, and um, you know, even even Exeter are uh, are not immune to it. Obviously, Saracens are, but let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Said with tongue firmly in cheek. I genuinely think it's bad about uh, the way that uh, fans of various clubs are now just so partisan for their views that, you know, they can't see past the great, the bigger picture um, looking at UX and um, Saracens fans. Oh, really? I mean, what, what do you, in regards to just not showing much compassion in regards to the other teams or? Because I think, you know, London Irish are potentially in, in trouble as well, aren't they? It's more just the, you know, Saracens fans taking great pleasure in in Exeter, maybe not not being in the best. But at the same time, like, there needs to be a little bit of... A little bit of understanding about how, you know, we aren't football fans. We're, we're rugby fans. And I don't think there's any place in the game for some of the attitudes that are around at the moment regarding other teams that aren't your. Fair enough. No, I, I understand. Um, you know, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, let's, let's move into some, any other business, Ben, have you got anything non rugby related that you want to, uh, you want to chat through? Just a television recommendation. The, um, SAS Rogue Heroes. Oh, mate, I've been watching that. That's so good. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. So good. Not real, though, Russ. No, I know. Oh, fuck off, mate. It is real. Of course it's real. <laughs> yeah. No dragons in it, so Russ is fine. But, yes. uh, yeah, I, I really like... enjoyed it. I watched I watched the six episodes in three days. It was just like... Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. I think I've watched four. Um, and you know my point, Douglas. It's not about whether it's definitely real. It's whether I can believe or not that it can actually happen. So, you know, I it is based believe. on a true story as well. Of course, isn't it, it is. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the, and it's good that, that that they've used like proper character names, like as in you know, Paddy Main is is a big name in in the SAS, isn't it? So, and in and in rugby, and in rugby. So yeah. there you go. So, yeah, but good, good recommendation. Uh, did you see um sorry before did you see you know uh one of the well you know one of the characters in it the actor went to meet him he's still alive he's 102 right and they um it the the the, the guy in real life was called uh, mike sadler and, oh yeah, um, yeah 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 they he got a picture of him when he was in his 20s and the actor is an absolute spitting image of him really yeah Amazing. yeah no spoilers. No spoilers here. Douglas, any other business? Um, I'd just like to point out there's a special place in hell for people who on long-haul flights decide to lean their seat all the way back and then sit forward, not leaning in this reclined seat position. <laughs> Fuck on. those guys. They recline their seat back and then proceed to, to sit up straight and not lean back into it. Sit up straight and lean their head on the seat in front of them. Oh, wow. I mean, how long is the flight to Hong Kong? 14 hours. With a stop or direct? No, direct. Oh, lovely. You're not, uh, you, you know, 
you clearly not in business or premium economy. No. I mean, let's be honest, you don't need the leg room, do you? But, you know. Fuck you. <laughs> it's just just talking facts. In fact, I'd, in fact, I'd, I'd quite, I'd quite enjoy travelling with you on an aeroplane. You know, I'd, I'd be able to sort of diagonalise my legs. You want to bet some of your leg room? <laughs> I'll fight you for it. Um, but before we did go, enjoy I, the, uh, did enjoy the first class lounge at Hong Kong Airport though. It was very nice. Oh, very nice, very nice, very plush. Don't get to jet set around the world like you. So uh, no. Maybe next time, eh? Um, well, I, what I will say is, so at the weekends, I've inadvertently been getting up early, not specifically to watch the Women's World Cup, but I have found myself watching some of it. Um, and the New Zealand-France uh, game from Saturday morning, I don't know whether either of you watched any of it. It was very good. Right, it was really good to watch. Other than the fact, yet again, was ruined, like seemingly ruined by regular interjections from our mate Tempo and Joy Neville, absolutely loving the sound of her own voice. <laughs> Anybody through like in women's rugby circles would have you believe that, that Joy Neville's the, the like Joy Neville's the Nigel Owens of female referees uh, to a point where she was like the best thing since sliced bread. She actively, actively managed New Zealand into the final of the rugby world cup. It was, it was quite spectacular how she managed to engineer certain situations so that New Zealand were able to win the match. And I'm not saying that she did it deliberately, like unconscious bias, whatever. It was phenomenal the way she refereed that rugby match. I, I've never seen anything like it. It was a bit like um, India-Bangladesh in the cricket where they went back out on a sodden field when Bangladesh were batting because they were ahead on Duckworth-Lewis. Because we all know that uh, India couldn't go out three semi-finals of the World Cup. Uh, I don't know where you're going with this, Russ. Nowhere, nowhere, mate. Not going anywhere with it. I'm on a ring road. <laughs> I'm on a ring road. Yeah. <laughs> um. But but the World Cup final is this Saturday morning, six thirty. Um. I'll probably end up watching most of it because I'll I'll likely be awake. Um. And what I have watched. Um, could have been uh, the whole tournament could have been cut into probably three weeks or maybe two semi-finals and final because the rest of the matches were pretty pointless between between then. I mean, you got teams winning eighty odd nil, much like the men's World Cup, really. Like, yes, open it out to everyone, whatever. But oh, most of it has been boring as shit. Um, and for what it's worth, I think New Zealand will win on Saturday from what I've seen of the England and, and the New Zealand teams in the World Cup. So best of luck. Uh, go well. Um, other than that, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get gone. 
Uh, we'll come back next week. Hopefully, England would have beaten Japan. Uh, again, I won't hold my breath. Doug, where are you working this weekend? Are you, have you got any rugby on the agenda this weekend? I'm working at the Barbarians All Blacks match this weekend. Very nice. I, I didn't know it's an All Blacks 15, isn't it? Because they're playing Scotland at the same time. Like, makes no sense. Any of this makes no sense. Correct, but I'm working on it. So it no, makes no, no. Sense. Uh, no, ab- absolutely. For you, for you, it makes sense. What I mean is from a from a wider rugby and games and players and I don't know. I don't know. I'm rambling again. I'm going to go. Speak to you all later. Go well. Podcast Network.